to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And aren't you thankful for Jesus this morning? Aren't you thankful for him? And praise God uh, for Jesus Christ. And I love, I love just singing about him, don't you? Just songs about, about Christ. You know, he is, again, he's the reason that we're here. He, he is the one that is to really be the centerpiece of the service, right? Uh, we're, you're not here because of me. I'm not here because of you. We're here because of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's a wonderful thing to know uh, that because he died, was buried, and rose again, that I can have salvation. And I can have forgiveness from sin. It's a wonderful thing. So we're in Mark chapter 5, and we've been uh, uh, looking at the, uh, really the life of Jesus. And there's been so many wonderful uh, things that we've seen from Christ and just his ministry. And we know that Mark, he just moves right along, doesn't he? He just goes boom, boom, boom. Uh, this happened, that happened. He goes quick. Uh, so we get a really a good glimpse of, of what uh, Jesus' time on earth was like, uh, the, the three and a half years of ministry uh, that he uh, did. And you remember last week, we finished up chapter 4. And remember, the disciples, they had gone through a terrible storm. You remember that? And uh, how... Uh, the disciples, they, Jesus, he was tired. He was very tired. He, was, uh, he decided to, to tell the disciples, hey, look, let's just go into the boat. Let's go off to the other side. and let, I just need to rest. And again, remember, this did not happen on accident. Jesus did not uh, do this unintentionally. He brought a storm uh, to the disciples. He knew that this was going to happen. And you remember, the, the disciples, they woke him up. And they said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? You're just going to sleep while we're here dying. And, of course, uh, what did Jesus do? He, he rebuked them for their lack of faith. And then, with just a few simple words, he calmed the storm. And he just said, peace, be still. And that showed us that he had all authority over all creation. And we know that Jesus Christ, he created everything. So, the, that which he created, they could not help but to submit to him and his authority. So we saw that uh, last week. And now, in chapter 5, uh, we, we see the, really the story and the events of the maniac of Gadara. And Gadara is a Gentile city in Galilee. So Jesus and uh, his disciples, they, once they get to the other side, after that, that storm, uh, they land in Gadara. And just kind of, again, recapping last time, it was a wild and stormy night physically on that boat, but now, what we're going to see this morning, it would be a wild and stormy morning spiritually. And Jesus, remember, again, he calmed that storm on the outside, he calmed that physical storm, but this morning, we're going to see him calm a storm that raged on the inside of two men. And listen, this morning, if you're here, and you are just, you don't have spiritual peace, I want you to know you came to the right place. Because Jesus Christ is the one that brings peace. And that's what we see uh, from our text this morning. So let's look at Mark chapter 5 and look at verse 1. It says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because he that had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. 
But when Jesus, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much, that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out, and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousands, and they were choked into the sea. And they that fed the swine fled, and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right minds. And they were afraid. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. And I thank you, God, uh, for the power of the gospel. I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to reconcile sinful man to God so that we could have forgiveness of sin. And God, I pray this morning, you'll just help us to see how wonderful salvation is and just to be thankful to you, God, for what you've done for sending Christ uh, to be the propitiation for our sins, to to atone for our sins, God. I thank you so much uh, that the gospel does change lives. I thank you that it's changed my life and many people's lives here this morning. I pray, Lord, that... uh, For those that are here this morning whose life has not been changed by the gospel, I pray that today uh, you would show them that you are truly God and that they would just place their faith and trust in Christ. I pray uh, that you would change their lives, take the spiritual blinders off and give them the faith that they need uh, to come to know you as your Savior today, Lord. I pray that you'll just do that and work in the hearts of sinners and uh, your saints alike this morning. And we love you, God, and we thank you so much for what you've done for us for sending Christ to die for our sins when we did not deserve it one bit. And we pray that you'll just be honored and glorified in this service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we see here uh, Mark, uh, his account of this whole ordeal that happened. And it's, it's a crazy story, uh, but it's really wonderful and awesome to see uh, how this whole thing took place. But if you were to look at Matthew's account, which we're going to do that later on, uh, you'd find that Matthew mentions two men. But here, Mark, he only mentions one, which we don't really know why, but it kind of leads us to believe that maybe this one was more prominent. Maybe he was more vocal of the two. Uh, Maybe he stuck out the most in Peter's mind, uh, and he was just kind of like in your face. You know, anytime somebody would come, uh, he was right there. Uh, Him and his uh, demonic possession uh, was just in your face, Uh, maybe like many people in the world today. A lot of people, they are in your face about their sin. They're very vocal. Well, it could be that that's what happened here. Why That might be why Mark mentioned this one instead of the two. But uh, those that are here and that have trusted in Christ this morning, I want you to know that in this man, we all find ourselves. We all find ourselves prior to salvation. And you might think, well, well how is that? This guy sounds like a crazy person. I mean, he was a maniac. Well, that's true. But for those 
that are here and have trusted in Christ, we find ourselves because really underneath all of this madness that we find this man is simply a desperate man in need of a Savior. That's what we find. Uh, so we find ourselves in this man. That's what we're going to see. But uh, for those that are here this morning and you've not yet trusted in Christ, I want you to know that you are currently in the same spiritual position as this man was as well. Because again, underneath all the madness was just a desperate soul that needed Jesus Christ. And we see a lot of similarities between uh, us before salvation and those, again, that are here and they are not saved uh, in this man. But we also uh, find some similarities with how society and people around him tried to fix him. And we know that, of course, society today tries to fix a problem of sin, don't they? Uh, but they are often unsuccessful. And in the midst of all this, church, we find that there is only one thing, or one person, rather, that can fix the problem of sin. And that simply is Jesus Christ. Now, my prayer this morning is for those that are saved, uh, that you would rejoice in your salvation. Look, if, you, if you're trusting in Christ, you should be joyful. Uh, and some people, some people here, you look sad. <laughs> it's okay to be a little happy, isn't it? It's okay to have some joy in your heart. We have a lot to rejoice about if we're saved, okay? We have eternal life. Amen. And we have that which nobody can take away from us. So my prayer this morning for the saved uh, is that you would rejoice in your salvation. But it's also for the saved, it's my prayer that you would also realize that it doesn't matter what sin you may be struggling with this morning or what sin you've been dealing with in your past, and my prayer is that you would look to Christ, because He can break those strongholds. He can break the strongholds of sin. But I also have a prayer, again, for the, the lost soul that may be here this morning, and, and they're like this, this man, desperately in searching of, of fulfillment. My prayer is that you would come to Christ this morning, that you would trust in Him and Him only. So we'll go ahead and begin dissecting this passage of Scripture. And first, we're going to look at, start with verse 1. We see Satan's stronghold. Satan had a great stronghold on this man. And look at verse 1. It says, And they came over under the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And we'll just stop right there. Uh, to begin this, after a short rest, again, Christ, he gets right back to ministering. And he ministers to uh, people on the shores of Gadara. And when Christ got out of this boat, they tell us here that immediately, two men, and again, it says one man here, but immediately these men, they came to meet him. And these men, they didn't just come to meet him, they ran to meet him. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. It says, but when... He saw Jesus afar off. He ran and worshipped him. Now, he worshipped him after the fact, but I want you to take note there that he ran to him. Okay? And likely with ill intentions to start off with. And you might say, well, what, what makes you think that? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 8. And we'll look at Matthew's account of this. Matthew chapter 8. And look at verse 28. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And when he was come to the other side into the country of 
the Gerasenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs. Look what it says. Exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. Exceeding fierce, violently. And now just imagine, imagine the fear of the disciples. <laughs> they, probably, they already were recovering from their heart attack after the storm, right? And now everything's calm, everything's peaceful. They're probably like, wow, this is great. I mean, I mean we know they were in awe of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ. And then they get off the boat, and as soon as they get off the boat, you see this crazy person running after you violently and fiercely coming to you, again, likely with ill intentions looking to harm you. Now, this, this man or these men, they were so fierce, and they were so wild because they were demon-possessed. Let's go back to Mark chapter 5 and see that again. Mark chapter 5, look at verse 2. Look at the latter part of verse 2. It says, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And an unclean spirit, church, that's just simply an evil being. He, this was a demon, or rather, as we'll see, several demons. Now, how this man became demon-possessed, we don't know. The Bible does not tell us, uh, but he clearly yielded to Satan in some way. Uh, and because he yielded to Satan... He lost everything. In fact, he did not even live in town, but rather on the outskirts of town because he was ostracized by everybody. Look at uh, verse 3 again. The first part there says that he had his dwelling among the tombs. So listen, church, like the lepers in this time, this man, this demon-possessed man, he lived away from society. They, they dwelt in the tombs which would be on the outskirts of town, uh, away from people that were living. So here they were, these demon-possessed men. They were living among the dead. They were living in tombs with bones, dead men's bones. And as these men, as they were bound by Satan, as they were living under the dominion of Satan, it brought them to this terrible place where they lived with dead men's bones. And church, we really find a really great picture in this. As those that are without Christ, they too, they are spiritually dead. And they're spiritually dead living among many other spiritually dead people. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2. And this is speaking of people after they got saved, uh, how there was a past where they were dead. Look at verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. It says, And you hath he quickened or made alive. Look what it says. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. So here we see, and I'll just stop there for a moment, before salvation, people are dead in trespasses, and sins. 
And this idea behind trespass is that we've crossed a line. We've crossed God's boundaries. Okay, and by the way, every single person here this morning, you have crossed God's boundaries. You have sinned against God. And this has caused us to be spiritually dead. It has caused us to be at odds with God. And those that are lost are truly dead men walking as they do not obtain eternal life, but rather they are facing the wrath of God. But again, once you come to know Christ, then you are then made spiritually alive. Look at verse 4. But God, don't, don't you love those two words? But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit in, together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Hey, listen, if you've trusted in Christ, you are made alive. And what's wonderful about this is it, we've done absolutely nothing to deserve it. Now, we're going to see in a moment that this demon-possessed man, he ended up being released from that. But he didn't do anything to deserve it. It was simply done by the grace of God. And so it is with our salvation church. We are only saved by the grace of God. You're not going to go to heaven today because you're here at church. You're not going to be saved or get forgiveness from God or appease the wrath of God because you're a member of this church or because you put money in the offering plate or because you do wonderful things and you're a good husband or a good wife. None of that's going to get you to heaven. None of it. It's not by works. It's only by the grace of God. Look at verse 8. And, and you can't dispute this. You cannot argue with it because it's plain as day. It's in black and white. Look at it. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Can it get any more clear? Well, you know, I, I just think I need to go to a priest and, and go to a mass and, and get forgiveness. No, it's not of yourselves, it says. Well, I think if I just, you know, serve in the nursery or if I serve in the kitchen or if I'm kind to the widows or to, to people in general. No, no, it's not of yourselves. It's by grace. It's only by Jesus Christ. It's not of works, as verse 9 says, lest any man should boast. Hey, listen, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a single soul that's going to be bragging about how they got there. <laughs> You're going to be giving worship to the almighty God, Jesus Christ. Because he is the one that brings us forgiveness from sin. Nobody's going to be up there saying, look what I've done. No, we're going to say, look what he's done. Look what Christ has done for me. And thank God for that. So I ask you this morning, have you turned to Christ? Have you been made alive? Or are you still dead in your trespasses and sins? Now again, you may think, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not like that guy. I, I don't have a whole bunch of demons Possessing me, so, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not as bad. I, I'm still lost. I don't really uh, trust in Christ, but I'm not as bad as him. Listen, that does not matter. To be lost at all is to be totally lost. So you must come to Christ. These men, in Mark chapter 5, again, they were in a terrible place. They yielded to Satan in some way, 
And, and it's likely that they thought that as they yielded to Satan, that their life would be enhanced. Maybe they yielded to him through idol worship. I don't know. Uh, but they, they likely thought, like many people do, well, you know, my life would be better if I just do what Satan wants me to do or if I follow uh, what he says. However, the end result of yielding to Satan and yielding to sin is never what one hopes it to be. It never is. And for these men, yielding to Satan came at a very heavy price. It caused them to lose everything. I mean, just consider, they're living on the outskirts of town. They're living in tombs among dead, dead men's bones. So we, we know that they've lost their homes. They've lost their family. They've lost any, any ounce of normalcy. There's nothing normal about their life. They've lost every relationship. They've lost everything. And this is how it always works. Sin causes us to lose everything. And Thomas Brooks said that Satan, he promises the best, but he pays with the worst. He promises honor, but he pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure, but he pays with pain. He promises profit, but he pays with loss. And he promises life, but he pays with death. And we see this again to be so with these two men. Satan had a terrible stronghold on these men. And there's one man in particular, again, the one that Mark mentions here, his condition was so bad that society had tried to take matters into their own hands and they tried to fix this great spiritual problem that he had. And let's go back and look at that in Mark chapter 5. And look at verse 3 again. We'll look at the latter part of verse 3. Mark chapter 5 verse 3. It says in verse 3, No man could bind him. No, not with chains. Because he... Uh, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken pieces, neither could any man tame him. So we see here, in an attempt to fix this man, those around him, they tried to bind him up. They tried to chain him up. They tried to bind him with fetters or shackles on his feet. But this did not work. He had been bound with these chains, and it tells us here that he plucked them asunder, meaning he just tore them apart. It was no match for him. He had, because of his demonic possession, he had a very peculiar strength. And look again at the end of verse 4. It says, Neither could any man tame him. No man could tame him. No human effort could stop him. No human could fix him. He was not fixable by society's standards. Nobody could change his erratic behavior. Nobody could figure out how, how to fix the spiritual problem that he faced. So society, they tried to fix the problem, but they could not do it. And in fact, it really only got worse. Look at verse 5. Look what it says there. And always. That means non-stop. Always, night and day. He was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. Now this guy was crazy. Despite the efforts of those around him, not only was he not able to be tamed by man, but night and day, at all times, non-stop, perpetually, he was on the mountains or in the tombs, crying out. 
And this crying out, it, it speaks of a constant and continual screaming or shrieking. Okay? So just imagine that. Just non-stop shrieking. Just a terrible noise. And it also says that he was cutting himself. Now, church, listen, this cutting with stones, it says, it's not just talking about him taking some stones and kind of scratching him. That speaks to him, him gashing himself and hacking these stones on his body and cutting his body. Again, he was just crazy. He was out of control. And these men that bound this demon-possessed man, they offered a very limited amount of restraint and a very limited amount of protection, but it did not last because the power of Satan was too strong and too much for man to overcome. And while these men in his community likely had the best intentions and they, they, they had the best tools at their disposal, they could not permanently fix the problem. And church, it is the exact same way today. Today's no different. You know, you may be here and you're dealing with the problem of sin. And, and, and you're dealing with it, and it's just, it's defeating you. Maybe like this man, you have been brought to the depths of despair. Maybe sin, and just your mindset has brought you into a deep depression. Maybe it's driven you to do things that you thought you would never do. Maybe you're here, and uh, sin has pushed you to the edge. And maybe you have a void that you simply cannot seem to fill, so you've looked for help. In society. And maybe you look for help in people or medication or therapy or alcohol or something. Uh, a lot, all those things are, church, is simply a band-aid that's put over a bullet hole. It's not going to fix anything. A lot of times society, they will attempt to fill that void that only Jesus Christ can fill. A society, they often try to give us a temporary fix to the problem of sin, but it always comes short. And, I, and I'm, I'm not saying necessarily anything against medicine. I do believe that medication has its place in certain circumstances. But listen close. We need to understand that there's no amount of medication, there's no amount of therapy, no amount of drugs, no amount of alcohol that's going to fix your problems. Nothing that the world has at their disposal will fill the void in your heart. The problem of sin is too great for society to figure out. They have no permanent solution. And as, as wonderful uh, as the scientific achievements that we've seen in our day, society still cannot cope with the problems caused by Satan and by sin. There's only one that can take the sin and the shame and the guilt away. And that is Jesus Christ. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, look at verse 24. I love this passage by Paul. And by the way, after Paul wrote this after he, his conversion. He knew who he was. He knew the state of his depravity and how terrible a person he was and uh, how wicked and evil his heart was. And look what he says in verse 24. He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death or this sin? So let me just stop there. He asks the question, who's going to help me with this? Who's going to deliver me from my sin? 
Who's going to give me what I need? Who's going to fulfill fill that void inside my heart? And look what verse 25 says. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we see here, he asks that question. He says, who's going to deliver me? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. He is the one that can deliver me. Now you may be here this morning. You may wonder who's going to deliver me from the bondage of sin. Listen, it's only Christ. Only Christ. Who can save you from the wrath of God? Only Christ. Who can give you victory over sin? Only Jesus Christ. Who can break every stronghold? Only Jesus Christ. And you might be here this morning, you're saying, saying, man, I've heard a lot about this Jesus guy. Every song that we've sung, you get up and you're talking about him before, and now you're talking about him again. Yes, because he's the only one that can save us. There's nobody else. There's nothing else. It's only Jesus Christ. And he can break every stronghold. And by the way, the same can be said for Christians. You know, again, Paul here, he was saved and he knew that he struggled with sin. You read Romans 6 and 7, talks a lot about that. Listen, even after salvation, Christians will have times, many times, where their old man will come and, and torment them and, and tempt us to do uh, that which we know we should not do. And again, you may at times be tempted to go to society. You may, may maybe you just, just desire to go to, to take a class or you, you look at a secular idea or you read a book. Listen, instead, what we need to do is look to Jesus Christ. Look, the same God that has saved you from your sins, he can give you victory over your sins. You know, throughout the Bible, we find that God, he is our deliverer. He's our deliverer. You look at how he delivered Noah from the flood. He delivered uh, Israel from Egypt. He delivered uh, David time and time again. He delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire. And he delivered Daniel from the lions. Listen, he is our deliverer. He can deliver every soul from sin. He can give every child of God his victory over sin. And it's because of Jesus Christ. Because he has provided deliverance for every person that he has saved. And that brings us to the third point here. Let's go back to Mark chapter 5. We see the Savior's transforming power. Look at Mark chapter 5 again. Look at verse 6. It says, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And I'll just stop right there. Again, this man likely ran to Jesus with the intentions of attacking him. But then once he got closer, the devil was that possessed this man, they just automatically submitted to Christ. It says here that they worshipped him. And this worship, it means to prostrate oneself with reverence by kneeling on the ground with their head touching the ground. Listen, these demons, they knew their place. They knew their place. And look at verse 7. It says, And cried with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. So here the demons cry out with a loud voice, asking Christ, in essence, why are you here? What do we have in common with you? What brings you this way? And just as the demon in Mark chapter 1, these demons, they beg Christ not to torment them before the time, as Matthew's account tells us. But Satan, here's the thing, church, Satan and his demons, they know their place and they know their time is short. They know. They know what's coming. Uh, and, and, and Jesus here, after they beg him for mercy, 
he began to put his power on full display yet again as he commanded these demons to come out of these men. Look at verse 8 and 9. It says in verse 8, For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. So immediately, after Jesus tells these demons to come out, he asked the, this demon, he said, Hey, what is your name? Now let me ask you this. Did Jesus ask this question because he did not know his name? No. Jesus knows all things. But rather, he wanted to bring the reality of the situation in wide, to, to the wide open. He wanted people to see how great this deliverance was about to be. He wanted people to know. So the answer to Jesus' question simply was, Legion, for we are many. Now, we don't know for certain what a legion is, definitely, but uh, a legion in the Roman army... It would be a company of Roman soldiers that numbered over 6,800 men. So it could be that this one man was possessed with nearly 7,000 demons. And you wonder why he was insane. So as this demon answered Christ, again, he knew his fate. So he asked Christ for mercy. And we see here that Christ, he would deliver this man and send him into uh, a herd of 2,000 pigs. Look at verse 10. The demon says that he besought him much, that he would not send him them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. He told them to do it. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and cho were choked into the sea. So, Jesus demanded these demons to come out of these men. And due to the power that Christ possessed, these demons could no more resist His command uh, than a snowflake could defy a hot flame. There was nothing they could do about it. They had to obey Jesus Christ because, again, He possessed all authority. Now, here's the thing. These demons, they could certainly scoff and laugh at the feeble attempts of men to fix his spiritual problem. However, they could not scoff at Jesus Christ because he possessed all authority. They could laugh uh, when men tried to bind these men with chains and with shackles, but they could not laugh when Jesus told them to come out. They had to obey. They had to do what he said. So Jesus... He permitted these demons to enter into the swine. And when they did, an entire herd of these pigs, 2,000 of them, they rushed violently to a steep slope and they would drown there in the sea of Galilee. And at the sight of this miracle, the keepers of the pigs, they were terrified. So they would go and tell other people about this. Look at verse 14. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what it was that was done. Let me just stop right there. These people, they did not own, they likely did not own these pigs. So they knew, well, my boss's pigs are all dead. I better go tell them what happens. <laughs> because this isn't going to be good for me. So they, they rushed to tell uh, the people what happened and tell the owners. Look at verse 15. And it, when, then they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. 
and had the legion sitting in clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Luke chapter 8, I'm going to just go there real quick. Luke chapter 8, verse 28 here, it tells us, or verse 27, it tells us this. It says of this man, And when he went forth to the land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils a long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode him in any house but in the tombs. So here we see, again going back to our text here in Mark chapter 5, we see that this man... He had been possessed with devils for a long time. How long that is, we don't know. But it was long enough for people to think, okay, this is normal behavior by this guy. Okay, this is normal. Uh, and he, he was possessed by devils a long time. He didn't even wear clothes. Uh, he had no decency. And now, in Mark chapter 5, verse 15, here he was wearing clothes in his right mind, and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. Now, this, the fact that he was in his right mind, what does that mean? That means to be of a sound mind, to exercise self-control, to have restored sanity. And we know that those that are saved by Jesus Christ, they do have a sound mind, right? They have a right mind. So people, they saw this. They saw this man, and they saw this man that used to be crazy, and he used to be insane, and now they were terrified and they were confused. They wondered, what happened? How is it that this man, he's not out of control anymore? He's not screaming, he's not cutting himself, but now, all of a sudden, he's in his right mind. They wondered, how is it that he's sitting at Jesus' feet instead of attacking him? How is it that he's no, no longer naked, but he's clothed? How could this be? What happened? Well, we know what happened. Jesus Christ changed his life. Amen. And when this man met Jesus Christ, he casted out these demons and he gave him a new life. He became a new creature in Christ. And it was such a dramatic change that all these people, they were afraid. And we'll see more about that next week. But just consider this, church. Prior to this encounter with Jesus, this man, he dwelt among the dead. But now he possessed eternal life. Prior to uh, this encounter with Jesus, this man would fiercely and violently go after people in an attempt to hurt them. But now, after his encounter with Jesus, he sat at his feet with other people in total peace. Prior to this encounter with Jesus... This man was like a wild and untamed animal, but now he was in his right mind. Prior to this encounter with Jesus, this man would cry and he would scream and he would shriek day and night in anguish. But as we'll see later on, now he would praise God before all men and tell all of them what Jesus did for him. Prior to uh, this encounter with Jesus Christ, he had no purpose in life. He had no reason to live. His life was miserable, but now Jesus gave him purpose because he changed everything. And Satan tried to destroy this man, but Jesus Christ delivered him. Listen, church, in these men, and in this man in particular, we see a very clear picture of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, these men are extreme examples of what sin and Satan can do to people, but they picture every single lost soul. And when one comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, 
everything changes. He changes you. You become a new creature. I think of a man, and I think maybe I've told you this story before. When I was a teenager, or actually before I was a teenager, my dad was a pastor in Stuban. And there was this man named Doug Smith. And uh, this guy would get in, in, in drunken fights all the time in the bars. He played in a country band, and uh, he was just not a good guy. Nobody would want to cross him. Uh, he, he actually said that he, was, he called himself a functioning drunk. He was always drunk, day and night, all the time, at work, all the time. He was always drunk, and he, he never cared about what anybody else thought. Uh, again, he, he was just a bad guy, getting fights all the time. But one day, he trusted Christ as his Savior. One day, Christ got a hold of his heart. He changed his life. Uh, he gave him his Holy Spirit, and everything changed. Amen. And man, just it was amazing to see, even as a young person, to see the incredible change. And it was, there was a progression, of course. It, it's not like everything changes overnight. But man, the Lord has worked on his heart. Uh, he would go to my dad and he would say, you know, I just, I just don't feel right about this anymore. I don't, the, these things that I, I normally do that I'm used to doing, I just don't think it's right anymore. And my dad would say, well, you're right. It's not right. And he would change. He didn't change because somebody told him to change. He changed because God moved in his heart and told him to change. And listen... If you're here this morning and you've not trusted in Christ, you are just as doomed as this demon-possessed man was before his encounter with Christ. You're just as lost in your sins as he was. You must turn to Christ. You must be born again. Now, I know that there are likely people here this morning, you're not born again. You're, you're not a born-again believer. You know it. God knows it. Uh, but for whatever reason, you're holding back. Listen, Lose your pride and just come to Christ this morning. And you may say, well, I've, I've been a member here for X amount of years. Who cares? If you have not trusted in Christ, do it today. Listen, nobody here is going to be upset with you if you decide to lose your pride and say, you know what? I'm not saved. I need to turn to Jesus today. Listen, we're not going to be mad. We're going to rejoice with the angels that you decided to do the right thing. Trust in Christ today. The gospel, it is powerful. It is life-changing. And if Christ could bring redemption and forgiveness and change to a man like this, then we can know that he can take a drug addict, he can take an alcoholic, he can take a homosexual, he can take the broken, the depressed, the weary, the burdened, the abusers, and he can forgive them too. He can heal their broken life. Listen, do not believe the lie that your sin is too great to be forgiven. His grace is greater. His grace is deeper. As that verse says, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. I like what D.L. Moody said. He said the voice of sin is loud. And you think of the, the man as he was loud, right? Always crying and shrieking. The voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. The voice of God is louder. There is no sin that's too great that God cannot forgive. He takes the guilt and the shame of sin away, and you can be forgiven. Now, we know the gospel of Jesus Christ, it does have the power to save us from hell. It has the power to give us forgiveness from God. But I want you to listen to this very carefully. It also has the power to deliver us from the power of sin. It has the ability to transform our lives. It has the power to change a life from living in rebellion against God to living to glorify God. 
So to the Christian here this morning you, that may be struggling with sin, do not do what many do and go to society to fix your problems. You need to look to Christ. Because it is only Jesus Christ that can deliver you from the power and the bondage of sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it is not just a gospel that brings us forgiveness from sin, but it also transforms our lives. It is a gospel that delivers us from the power of sin. I like what a friend of mine, Nick White, he's a pastor in New Hampshire, he said this. He said, a gospel that saves from the penalty of hell, but not the power of sin. A gospel that justifies, but does not sanctify. A gospel that has the power to redeem, but not the power to transform, is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of the gospel includes sanctifying us. It includes uh, 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 redeeming us and transforming us completely. He changes us. He changes us. So if you're here today and you're lost, be saved today. Trust on Jesus Christ. If sin, if you're a Christian and sin just has a stronghold on your life, look to Christ. And if you're saved today, rejoice in the life-changing gospel that you possess. Again, you may, it's easy to look at, uh, at that man and say, man, you know, that guy, he got delivered, man. He got delivered big time. Hey, listen, you too got delivered when Christ saved you from your sins. We all are sinners in just as much need of grace, in just as much need of Jesus Christ as anybody else. So let's rejoice in the fact that we have salvation, we have forgiveness from God, and we have experienced life-changing gospel of Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.